Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, where in the Word are you today? During this Holy Week, I'm going to encourage you to be in the Word of God, to be walking with Jesus in his journey toward the cross. He spends much of this week in Jerusalem, but he's in and out of the city each night. Where does he go? You ever thought about that? You can actually just sort of study the movements of Jesus during this week as a as a way of entering into the experience of um, of where he and the disciples move and what happens in those various places, and who are the people involved, and how do those different people respond? So yesterday, you likely uh, focused in on the triumphal entry, Jesus uh, arriving into the city of Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. That should take you back to the book of Exodus. That should take you into the, the religious rhythm of celebrating the Passover event. It should take you into the Psalms. What were the, uh, what were the Psalms that uh, that were used by God's people during those um, during those Passover events, year in uh, and year out. Um, and then as we move forward, like today on this Holy Monday, this is the day that we sort of recognize that Jesus cleared the temple. Well, what was the temple in the days of Jesus? Which temple was that? What happened to that temple? Um, and then what are the promises that are included in Scripture? What are God's prophecies? What are God's promises about that temple being rebuilt? Um, who are the temple of God today? I'm, that's a strange-sounding statement, but uh, it's, it's a good question. Where does God currently live, abide, move, reign, have authority? It should be in each one of us who are possessed of the Holy Spirit of the living God because we belong to him. We abide in Christ. The abiding chapter is one that if you are reading through the Gospel of John with us here at Faith Radio, you're going to find yourself in the, in the chapter of the vine and the branches, and you're going to find yourself walking through a vineyard on a particular night of this week, and you're going to be encountering Jesus talking about what it means to really live in him and have him live in us. What does it mean for God to take up holy habitation among his people? Not just to break into the reality of, of humanity by being born in human flesh. The incarnation is a part of the conversation that we must have this week about the atoning sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Were, were it not the Christ, were he not the Christ, were he not the co-eternal uh, member of the Trinity, like the sacrifice would not be sufficient. And so there's all kinds of conversations that you um, can have this week with the Lord and with those who are uh, with you and around you in terms of what does this week mean? And obviously, we're going to reach the pinnacle on Good Friday and then a yet higher pinnacle on Easter Sunday. So with all of that in view, I ask you again, where in the word are you today? We're going to spend our next several minutes in the Psalms 
with David Taylor, and we're going to look specifically at his brand new book, Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Life. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. have been um, turning to the Psalms in these days. We have been dwelling in Psalm 46 and Psalm 91 and Psalm 23. Joining me today, David Taylor, author of Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Life. David, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Good morning. Good morning. What a, what a delight and a joy to have you. Such a timely book, um, such a wonderful opportunity to invite people to explore the Psalms as a guide to life, um, why don't you just give give people an invitation to to open the Psalms, to open themselves through the Psalms, and to do so in a way um, that really is without fear? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, Christians throughout the centuries have described the Psalms in a variety of uh, messages or metaphors or images or phrases, things like, the Psalms are the anatomy of the soul. They're the medicine chest of the heart. They're the balm of the soul. And they're all getting at the same thing. And that is that the Psalms from 1 to 150 identify every longing, every hope, every want, every hurt, everything that human beings have ever wanted or felt sorrow over. The Psalms identify it. They name it. And they give us permission to say these things to God and in the presence of the people of God. And, and in my book, what I try to do is identify some of the, the dominant themes in the Psalms that would show us what it means to walk in the way everlasting. And, and I explore themes like sadness and anger and joy, sort of this emotional center of our lives. I explore themes of life and death of darkness and light, justice and injustice, enemies and and creation, all these things that we're experiencing now in a, in a very acute way in this strange time of a, of a global pandemic. So I can't imagine that there is a more propitious time for the Psalms to become that book that we own for ourselves in the same way that Jesus and the apostles owned it as their prayer book. So my hope is that people would internalize it, dive deep into it, and discover that all their sorrows, all their faults and failures, all their successes are found there in the Psalms and brought up in this beautiful symphony of poetic prayer to God. Oh, a symphony of poetic prayer to God. Um, that is a beautiful way of of capturing what the Psalms are. Uh, I think the question that is raised for me, most by your book, is how do the Psalms function in my own life? Um, it's a great introduction to the themes of the Psalms and, and taking us deep into those, but there's an invitation in, in every component of this book that invites me to enter in. Talk, talk about how we enter in. This is not just an academic exercise. We enter in. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I hope it's far from an academic exercise. I, I hope it's a very personal, deeply felt thing that people 
would read the book and at the very least uh, discover how the Psalms invite us to stand honestly before God without fear and, and to face one another vulnerably without shame or embarrassment and, and really to encounter life in the world without any of the secrets that would demean and distort our, our humanity. And we would find ourselves walking on this way as, as Psalm 1 identifies for us. It's, this is at the very beginning, it's an invitation to walk in the way. And it's a way that leads from beginning through a whole landscape of lament and ends in this, in this field of, of praise there in the last several psalms that are sometimes called the, the the hallelujah psalms but the psalms are inviting us to stand alongside saints and sinners walking with with both the faithful and the faithless all of us open and unafraid because we have marked we've been marked by the steadfast love of god so right at the beginning psalm 1 and 2 are an invitation to to you and me and to the whole company to walk in this way and of course in the light of 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 Jesus and 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 the gift of the Spirit, we walk with Him. The the Psalms that function for Him as this defining book uh, throughout His entire life and ministry, and particularly so in the Passion Week, and very much so on the cross, He accesses the Psalms to give voice to His own cries uh, to God the Father because they function for him as this, this hymn book that he had internalized through his entire life. And so for us to take the words of the Psalms onto our lips and let them sink into our hearts and minds, it is in a way to be with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to pray like Jesus himself prayed. When we come back, can we look specifically um, at Psalm 22, which obviously you're making reference to there in terms of what Jesus says on the cross, there may be other things that other psalms that we want to lift up for folks during this holy week, but we we certainly want to talk about Psalm 22. So I'm going to continue my conversation with Dr. David Taylor. The book is Open and Unafraid: The Psalms as a Guide to Life. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with David Taylor. He's an assistant professor of theology and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, He lives in Austin, Texas. And we're talking today uh, specifically about his book, Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Life. Um, Walk with us, David, through Holy Week and, and then specifically at the cross in terms of the Psalms. Yes, you know... You'd mentioned before Psalm 22, and Psalm 22, I think as many of us might already know from reading the Gospels, is what Jesus puts on his lips. There are the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And one of the things that I hope that readers would discover about the Psalms in reading my book is how the Psalms are in this fantastic dialogue with one another. They're constantly talking to another and helping us understand things by this dialogue. And one of the things I, I would love for people to, to know about Psalm 22 is that it's in a dialogue, a very, very specific, beautiful dialogue with Psalm 23 and Psalm 24. So in Psalm 22, you have this individual who is utterly forsaken in extreme want and yet still affirming the Lord's sovereignty over all things 
the psalmist wants in all things and in all aspects of his life, and yet he's able to end with an affirmation that the ends of the earth will praise the Lord. And right at the end of Psalm 22, after this long litany of woes that he uh, expresses and exclaims, he says that the Lord has not hidden his face from the poor and the afflicted. And what's fascinating about this is that in Psalm 24, just two psalms over, you have the same language of face, but it describes the kind of character of those who seek the face of the Lord. So in Psalm 22, in our place of most extreme need and want, it is the Lord who inclines his face to us. In Psalm 24, we're the one that incline our face to the Lord, who is this divine warrior sovereign king over all creation who wants for nothing and provides for everyone generously. And then right in between is Psalm 23, where the psalmist is not necessarily stating a fact, but stating in faith that he shall not want. And I think this is a beautiful picture of the pilgrimage of our life uh, of faith, of following Jesus, and how Jesus himself is this good shepherd who goes to the very end, who offers his own life as bread for the whole world so that all would be satisfied in their deepest, deepest spiritual needs. David, that gives people um, a bit of uh, of a taste, a tempting taste of what they find when they open, open and unafraid, the Psalms as a guide to life. Um, When you think about the challenges that we're facing today individually in our families, um, as a people of a nation, um, as people who are used to going to church and maybe are now learning that we are church in ways we hadn't thought about it before, um, responsible for our own individual and family worship in ways that we have not been before, and then a part of um, the reality of 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 a globe that is all now experiencing in every place the same trouble, the same challenge, um, the prospect of nations falling, um, on and on and on. What are some psalms that come to mind that you would like to have people walking in in these particular days? That's a great question. Uh, What first comes to mind, and maybe this will be sort of a, uh, I could give you a different answer tomorrow morning, but but let me suggest mm-hmm. a few. Uh, I, I've I've seen how many of my friends with little children, their their children are struggling with anxiety, an anxiety that perhaps they've never struggled with. And to them, to those children, I would want to offer them Psalm four and five, which are called the evening psalm and the morning psalm, as a way to remind them that that they have a good shepherd who watches over them through the watches of the night and then all day long. For the rest of us, I would say certainly read Psalm 22, 23, 24 together, just to see sort of this micro perspective of our own experiences, but then this macro perspective of the God who is sovereign over all things. Certainly read Psalm 90 and 91, such long-standing, beautiful, Psalms that Christians have access for centuries, affirming the fact that God is our refuge, a very present help in in time of trouble. 
But I would also say, you know, look at Psalm 88 and 89, that, that, that name the darkness, that name death, that name depression in ways that are very, very honest. Uh, don't blink away from the difficult things in life and allow these psalms to, to name what you're experiencing and, and in a sense to provide edited language to your unedited feelings or to give coherent expression to all your incoherent thoughts. And I think one of the things that we'll struggle with is to just find ourselves sloshing all over the place and perhaps resorting to dysfunctional patterns of behavior to, to numb the pain. And I think what the Psalms offer us is an antidote to that tendency that we might have to hide or to run away or to, to stuff it down or to reject others because we're suffering and we're afraid. And the Psalms come along and provide us this uh, profound help to remain open and, and well, unafraid, as I say, to remain vulnerable to God. And then when you're feeling like you need to act, acclaim the goodness of the Lord, go to the very end, Psalm 146, 47, 148, 149, 150, and allow your heart to resound with the praise of the Lord and to discover that the joy of the Lord is in fact your strength. I love that. I've written them all down. I'm going to post them. Um, thank you. That is a, um, I, I genuinely appreciate that. There's this incredible connection. It's okay. We, we love extra people in our show. So just bring whoever that, bring whoever that is on board. It's all good. He's weeping. Oh, um, let's talk about the, um, just very briefly here, um, as we close this conversation. And again, David Taylor, author of Open and Unafraid, The Psalms as a Guide to Life. Um, thank you so much. Um, let's just close with this. What's the connection between the Psalms or the Psalter and singing or hymnody? Well, you know, as Christians have, have remarked throughout the centuries, singing is simply another kind of, of prayer. It's, it's like mm-hmm. this prayer that that's ecstatic, or uh, I, I guess in, in the literal sense of ecstatic, you, you t- it takes you outside of yourself. It's sort of this fulsome, uh, expansive form of prayer, but it, it's, it's also this way of attuning ourselves to one another, that when we sing a psalm together, even across the digital divide, it has this marvelous way of connecting us, of uniting us in a profound way. And uh, certainly there are psychosomatic benefits of singing, as scientists would tell us, but it's also this, this way to get us out, perhaps outside of ourselves or help us to get over ourselves <laughs> and, and to extend ourselves, our whole bodies, our hearts, our minds, to offer ourselves uh, to God again and again and again. And that's why the Psalms have been the hymn book of the church for 2,000 years. I just love it. So, David Taylor, thank you so very much. You guys can find him on Twitter, W. David O. Taylor. Um, You can also find him at Fuller Seminary. That's fuller.edu. He's on the faculty there. Um, And you can actually just find him by Googling the name of the book, the title of the book, um, which, of course, we want you to do because we'd like you to get it. Open and Unafraid, the Psalms as a Guide to Life. David, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Carmen. I appreciate that. Absolutely. We'll be right back. The Lord is the shade on my right hand. 
right, that was a delight. And yes, for those of you who felt like you missed the list, here's a quick review. And then, yes, I will work it up as a post for the Mornings with Carmen page at MyFaithRadio.com. But Psalms 4 and 5, with and for your little kids. Psalms 22 to 24, all together. Read them all together in succession uh, for Holy Week. Psalms 90 and 91 for COVID-19. Psalms 88 and 89 as a introduction to Psalms of Lament, if you uh, are unfamiliar with the process of lament and the necessity of it in our lives to deal with death, depression, and darkness. And then um, be sure to turn to Psalms 146 to 150 to give God his glory and his due. All right, next up, David Aikman is back. Yes, yes, yes. I know there is much celebrating among you. Uh, David Aikman is back, editor of Godspeed Magazine. We're going to talk about uh, the hospitalization of Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the Queen's speech, what's going on in Europe, so much more. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Licato. Jesus was a likable fellow, and his disciples should be the same. Now, I'm not talking debauchery, drunkenness, and adultery. I'm not endorsing compromise, coarseness, and obscenity. I'm just crusading for the freedom to enjoy a good joke and live in a dull party and appreciate a, a fun evening. And Jesus was a party lover. His foes accused him of eating too much, drinking too much, and hanging out with the wrong people. I must confess, it's been a while since I've been accused of having too much fun. How about you? Jesus laughed. He had fun. He was always invited to the party because people wanted to be near him. Who could be relied upon to be the life of the party more than the one who came to give life with joy and abundance? This is Max Lucado. My name is Bond, James Bond. Joining me now, Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine. Hi. Dear sir, welcome thank back. You, sir, thank you. I'm fine, and uh, I haven't been afflicted with this thing. But uh, anyway, keeping in touch with everything. We're so uh, we're so glad to have you with us. You were missed. Um, you were prayed for. Part of it was I had uh, scheduled um, another interview last week, and we've now got that person moved to the opening slot on Monday mornings. So we have you back, and we're thrilled about that. Let's um let's turn our attention first to the uh to the United Kingdom. Boris Johnson, uh the prime minister was admitted to the hospital with COVID-19 related uh issues and then the queen made a speech. So let just tell us what's yeah. going on over there. Well, Boris Johnson first reported that he had symptoms and these were then tested and confirmed to be coronavirus about 10 days ago. And normally, if people are recovering, the, the average sort of curve of disease and then recovery, people are getting better after about seven days. But he doesn't seem to have been getting better. Um, the official report does not say that he's worse, but I think in the the video footage we saw it in the last two or three days, he really looked pretty uh, pretty sick. And uh, I 
definitely needs prayer. I mean, I think this guy is uh, a potential a potential serious victim of this infection, and can, we should all pray that he recovers as quickly as possible. David, let's just pause right now um, and do that. Father God, we come before you um, bearing up all of those who who have this disease. We we lift up Boris Johnson in particular this morning, but with him, we, we lift up every other person in every room, quarantined from others, in every space and place around the world. We lift up those who are in acute care, um, and we lift up those who are um, suffering alone at home. Um, Father, there is there is so much need right now, and we bear all of this up before you. You are the great physician. You are the creator of all things, and you are the one who is able to do exceedingly more than we ordinarily dare to ask or imagine. And so we would be bold now to ask for healing, even as we submit ourselves to your um, perfect will in the way that you are working out your purposes in the midst of all of this. We bear this up before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. David, um, it was unusual. It was unusual for the queen to make a speech, um, and it was it was kind of feisty. I kind of I like her a lot. Yes, I think she's shown great spunk in all this. Of course, she's a very committed Christian. She always used to invite Billy Graham to Buckingham Palace whenever he was passing through the UK, and uh, Christian faith is very strongly recognized throughout the country. So I thought it was a splendid message. I mean, she really uh, told the Brits that they have to be considered the generation that responded to coronavirus as valiantly as the generation that responded to the Nazis in World War II. So it's a good message, I think. Yeah, I think calling out um, calling out the best of people and inviting them to be, you know, valiant is a good word. The um, the blitz spirit, um, and then this this great. She just offered great assurance. Um, there's a, well, she's regal. You you believe her. She has she has some personal gravitas, um, and she's just this picture of wisdom uh, and endurance. She has she has literally endured much uh, in terms of the history uh, of the world. And so just uh, wanted to, to lift that up this morning. How's the rest of Europe doing today? Well, uh, the figures in the UK of total deaths exceeded 4,000 this morning. Uh, the figures of the deaths in Italy seem to have lessened, or at least not increased at the same rate as they were doing previously. And that seems to be true of Spain. Uh, but it, generally speaking, the effect has made the Italian furious about the way the EU, in their view, in the view of many Italian voters, has not responded to Italy's needs for assistance in the coronavirus epidemic. So that makes 
the whole cohesion of the EU a little bit more fragile than it was before the crisis broke out. I'm also keeping an eye on Hungary in the midst of that exact same conversation. Um, are you watching what's happening in Hungary at all, David? Well, I am, but I have. I must admit, I haven't been focusing in on it specifically in the last few days. But, well, my uh, my interest there is that there um, is he a president or a prime minister? Forgive me for not knowing exactly, but um, he he is really. Um, moving in a direction that would appear to be away from the EU, uh, not only in the midst of this, but sort of taking advantage of this to consolidate his own personal power. Oh, this is Orban, the prime minister. Yes, yes sir. I mean, he has. And, uh, of course, uh, Europeans are also beginning to wonder, especially in the British Parliament, the Foreign Affairs Committee of the British Parliament accused the Chinese Communist Party of complete misinformation about the virus, and thereby endangering the health of the rest of the world because they wasn't, they weren't honest about what it was and what the characteristics of the disease was, and of course they arrested and caused the death of, indirectly, Dr. Li Wenliang, who was crying, um, was saying that they completely ignored how serious the crisis was, uh, and they weren't reporting about it. And then, of course, he was punished, and Chinese were universally dismayed by the response to that. Yeah, you certainly see um, the, at least the beginnings of a narrative related to uh, accountability and not not blame so much as responsibility and irresponsibility in terms of in terms of our global uh, relationships. David, you and I need to take a brief break. When we come back, I'd like to uh, pivot to India and Syria, um, and we'll we'll look at what is happening. Uh, in those nations as well. I'm talking with Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed magazine, and we are sort of taking our tour of the globe and what is happening in relationship to the coronavirus. We'll be right back. As we look at the responses to the coronavirus around the globe, it is imperative that we recognize that each and every one of these nations, in addition to um, operating out of a particular political view, is also operating out of a certain theological worldview. And so we have talked about uh, the Queen of England. We have talked about the background of Christianity in terms of the European nations. Um, And we have touched on China Uh, which obviously is an atheistic, communistic um, regime. We're going to pivot now to two other parts of the world, Syria, where the dominant worldview grows out of Islam, and India, where the dominant worldview grows out of Hinduism. David uh, Aikman is here. He is the editor of Godspeed magazine. David, let's uh, let's start with Syria. What... um, uh, what What are we looking at in terms of the response to the coronavirus in Syria? Well, I think Syria has been greatly hampered by the fact that its 
medical services being under such strain in the last several months because of the serious fighting that's gone on in Italy province. The huge numbers of evacuees who don't have anywhere to go. And Syria doesn't have the facilities of more developed countries to uh, to operate a serious response to the particular pandemic. And so it's particularly, especially the refugees, they're in real trouble in Syria, and they need the help of volunteer organizations as much as possible. It's, it's, it's interesting to me, David, as we... Um as we survey the globe and the ability of of certain nations to respond, you know, obviously differently than other nations, even though on a normal day, like in a, on a normal day, we'd be seeing all kinds of international requests, um, one country to another. But countries really do yeah. appear to be dealing with this um, on their own. They do, and some have done it much better than others. For example, South Korea seems to have brought the epidemic very much under control by a system of uh, not only testing, but quarantining. And also, they have emphasized the need to wear face masks. Um, President Trump the other day said he wasn't going to wear a face mask because it was so inconvenient. But there's been, I received uh, a video from the Czech Republic in Europe saying that face marks have an incredible benefit, not in protecting you from the disease, but in protecting other people from being infected by you. So they do have a beneficial effect in slowing down coronavirus, and the Czech Republic statistics bear this out. Let's um let's pivot to India. Um, I I the pictures that I've seen in terms of people trying to get out of India prior to the national lockdown, boy, that looked like a coronavirus, uh, you know, sardine can opportunity. What um what's happening in yeah. India in relationship to the virus? Well, of course, the lockdown caused. Many Indians from various parts of the country to rush back as fast as they could to their own states, the states in which they came. And that inevitably brought tremendous crowding and pressure on the transportation system. So that further increased the infection rate of expansion. So India is facing a lot of problems particularly the political issue of whether Indian, whether people who migrated to India from other countries, notably Pakistan or Bangladesh, should have the right to Indian citizenship. And the Muslims in India feel very angry that they feel they're being uh, discriminated against in this whole citizenship battle. When we think about the value of human life and the way um, life is judged to be of 
of either greater or lesser value. You know, we as Christians view every life as precious and every person as precious, as made in the equally in the image of God. But that is just not the worldview that is shared by others. And it is um, it is illustrative. It's tragically sad, but it is illustrative uh, to recognize just how different the way we view God and the way we view humanity um, is being borne out in this, in the way governments are and nations are responding to this virus. That's right. I'm sorry to turn to China again, but the evidence is that the Chinese Communist Party has seriously underreported how many people have actually died because there have been reports that funeral homes in Taiwan have been receiving orders to buy um, body bags uh, from funeral homes in Wuhan, which is the epicenter of the Chinese epidemic. And that's very, very disturbing because it just the Chinese have not been honest about the number of people who lost their lives. Well, and I think that we will see that to be true uh, around the globe. I mean, even even in the most well-developed of countries that are trying to be as transparent as possible, how you account for deaths that are related to the coronavirus or deaths that would not have happened had we not all been facing this, um, it, it is difficult to, you know, to attribute them all. The ones you're talking about are obviously attributable to the coronavirus and yet being intentionally um, kept off the books. Yes, that's right. I think they have just not reported the number of people who have actually passed away. Um, there are a lot of circumstantial evidence. The number of mobile phones in China has suddenly lessened by millions, which suggests their owners are no longer alive. So all kinds of circumstantial evidence is very discouraging. Wow. Okay, now that is a that is a means of of looking at a population that I had not considered. So thank you for that, um, David. We look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you as always for being with us uh, here today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Stay home and uh, as far as you can, and keep safe. You as well. God bless. We'll be right back. Okay, so tonight would have been, this is my would have been list. I'm going to have to start making a would have been list. Do you have one already? All right, what's on your would have been list? Well, tonight would have been the NCAA Men's Basketball National Championship game. What's the one that comes to mind as you remember uh, things across, uh, across time? I remember one that Duke played in. That's about it. All right, so what's on your would have been list? And then uh, on Saturday, if you missed the live call-in show that I uh, had the privilege of doing with my colleagues, Susie Larson and uh, and Bill Arnold, you can go and grab that. It is posted as a podcast at MyFaithRadio.com on the Mornings with Carmen page, and you can still call and share your story of faith and your appreciation for Faith Radio. You can call the uh, Faith line at 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'd love to record your faith story so that we can share it with one another next week during Share. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.